Uh, just oh, yeah. let me know when you're ready to go. Well, yeah, let's go. Let's let's ramp this motherfucker up. Uh, and how do you want to do as far as like intros go? You, you intro. You're the guy. You have the voice for this. Okay. We're just. All right. Welcome to a new episode of Bang Gong Podcast. The podcast that really is not a sandwich, but that's what we're calling it. This is Bang Gong <laughs> Podcast with Chef. Mike Beltran, I am the sound guy formerly known as Nick Jimenez. Formerly known. Formerly known. And on this episode of the podcast, we have our first we have our first sponsor. Before we introduce our guest, we want to let people know about the sponsor of the show. Wait, but we're, we're going to talk to the sponsor already? Well, we're, listen, hey. I mean, we're you're only running, 30 this seconds is, Your name is on the podcast. Yeah, I get it. Okay, no, 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 that's let's fine. Let's talk about let's, our guest first. No, let's talk about our guest. Who's let's, our guest, Mike? Our guest today is the man, the myth, the legend himself, the pasta shaken. <laughs> Crack back bacon. Chris Hughesby, everyone. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Chris, on, Mike? Chris is a good friend of mine. Uh, Chris and I worked together for a long time, and we became dear, dear friends Indeed. in that time. Um, tell the people about yourself, Chris. Uh, I just turned 36. All right. <laughs> I'm a Taurus. <laughs> I feel like we're on a dating website now. I feel like that, too, and that's real weird. Yeah, a little bit. I'm all right with it, though. Um, 36, I'm from Miami. My folks are from Minneapolis, Minnesota. They moved here 45 years ago and opened a running shoe store in South Miami, and I grew up in and around that small business. And uh, Tell them the name. Oh, Footworks. Yes, yeah. legendary. Team Footworks is also Team another uh, yes. uh, organization that uh, puts on running events. And then, uh, let's see, in my like early 20s, I started working in restaurants. Welcome. Found my way into the kitchen and into pretty steady uh, schedule of drinking and substance abuse. Perfect. My uh, kind of guy. Yeah. So, uh, and then eventually ended up in a real kitchen with, uh, with Uncle Mike. <laughs> and that yeah. was pretty fucking cool. I still get that Uncle Mike reference a lot <laughs> from all over the country at this point. Yeah, and sometimes it's like from dudes that are older than you. Yes. Which is like <laughs> yep. one of those things, man. Yeah. So, uh, funny story. Day one, Chris was, you were trying out, right? We had already opened, or this was pre-opening? So a couple uh, days was, before was we opened? The, the interview or the, I'm already hired? No, you were already hired. So this was at, this was at the Cypress Room. The Michael Schwartz restaurant that uh, I helped run with Uncle Roro, Roro mm-hmm. Acudia. Don't know and, uh, Chris, he's just kind of like, he looks a little bit a mess, right? And he's just, <laughs> but he's moving fast. How dare you? Yeah. He's moving fast and he's moving with purpose, but I fucking hated him. You remember why? A <laughs> uh, uh, messy? I don't know. No, because you had white clogs on. Oh, yeah. And I fucking, I was like, who is this? fucking guy trying to be different with his white clogs and I, I was just like creating a show and I was just like fuck this guy and I was like kind of I was trying to be like a little bit of a bully sure right which we'll get into later and I was trying to intimidate but you you stood strong huh. you you definitely um you definitely I remember those early days it was quite crazy yeah and I was working like 18-hour days, pretty much six days a week. Yeah. And uh, Chris was kind of like the bright spot because we had some <laughs> real green cooks at that point. We yeah. Yeah, Louie. Yeah, you had some badasses, though. Yeah, Louie Louis was just like a – was like four, four foot eleven. Yeah, uh, 
four foot eleven and probably the best looking dude in the kitchen. <laughs> no, probably no. The best looking dude no, in the I kitchen. Would, full I stop. I would disagree. That is a nice uh, distinction to have, though. I would disagree. Well, what? I mean, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm quite the looker, but I'm just saying, Louis came from Alinea, so yeah. he was definitely a good, a great cook. I mean, decent pedigree, sort of. Decent, and he worked saute for like the first four months. Yeah, and then I worked grill for the first like three years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I worked grill for like 10 minutes. Oh, man. <laughs> now, I'm going to say that later when we get into it. I'm going to tell everyone the story about when I was working saute, you were in grill. Oof. That was the uh, day I almost passed out. Maybe no, there was what, a good there one. There was a couple of those. There was a good one. So, anyways, Chris, um, Chris had that, that like older line cook wisdom, which no one else had. And it was so very important because when you have a bunch of young cooks that don't really understand it this is gets a little it gets a little hairy yeah and it's really all about like you know you got to sack up and you just got to push through and you got to get it done that i think was along with being very talented was one of your best attributes in that kitchen thanks man and that's why we became very close friends yeah i think um that at the beginning was like how do we how do we get these younger guys to have a little bit of swagger to them? Yeah, well, I guess, I guess that would be a good way to put it. General advice to the younger guys, like, was I think was I think a big one. Like, I like I remember at times being like, "This is a good opportunity to shut up." Oh yeah. Like you're getting yelled at because you fucked up. Shut up. You remember the chicken breast? No. <laughs> you don't remember the chicken breast? No. Oh shit. So I think you know we got 45 minutes here to talk about just stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think. I was listening to a podcast with David Chang and the Joe Beef guys. Oh, man. Yeah, and they're, you know, God, you know how we feel so about good. them. We, yeah, I know. We talk about them a lot. But something Dave McMillan said really stood out to me the most, which was when he was talking about younger cooks, and he was talking about himself, and he was talking about um, how different shit was and how, like, narcissistic the whole, you know, entity of being yeah. a chef in the kitchen is. For sure. He kept on bringing up younger cooks and he said you know what it's that time to take a step back and to be a shepherd and not a viking damn right and that that statement to me has just like it's really resonated in my head over and over and over again like i had a viking moment not even like two hours ago yeah here (laughs) not even 30 (laughs) feet away from where we're standing you know but i'm like i'm very aware and i need to try to change those things try to lead people in the right direction yeah so when it goes back to our time at Cyprus, you know, we had a lot of really young, talented guys. Brian. For Rojas, sure. Jesus. Uh, Tony. Yeah. Uh, which, you know. 20, April Bloomfield. Yeah. Uh, Louis. Um, who else? There was a tall Christian, kid. Cleo. Oh, Christian, Cleo. All very young guys. Yeah. I mean, Tony at that time was been like 22 years old. And now yeah. Tony runs mandolin with Roel. Look at him. Yeah, I know. Well, Such a grown up. All grown up. Yeah, so it's always going back to, like, that how do we nurture instead of just kind of, like, beating people up. Yeah, it's like uh, hearing about cooks that came up uh, in the, like, Joel Robichon era. Right. And hearing things like, oh, you can tell who the sous chef is because his shoulder is bruised because the chef's standing behind him whacking him with a spoon or something. And stories that Roel would tell working for various, like, famous chefs who would just walk up behind you when you're making a sauce and say something like oh now i understand well you'll never be good at that like something like that's only meant to to 
to debase you, to break you down. Right. And I guess the the idea would be then that you build someone back up. Right. And now they're stronger. But it just seems like it's kind of like uh, related to dog training where, like, you can get results with fear and kicking a dog or beating a dog, but you had much better results, you know, with positive reinforcement and with, like, sort of fostering a relationship where someone's inspired to work harder or do more. And that's something that I think, like, I immediately gravitated towards you in the Cypress Room was that I had worked for eight or nine years in kitchens in Miami and, like, a very, like... I'd say a, a decent spectrum from like turn and burn to what they thought was fine dining on South Beach at a steakhouse, you know? I want to, can you repeat that? What they thought was fine right. dining. Very good. Um, I just want to remind the people that. Yeah, there's a big difference. I mean, expensive ingredients and expensive plates versus like, you know, refined technique and touch is like a huge, there's a huge line there. But um, up until like, like at various points in that, in, in I guess in that arc, of cooking for a living. I worked for, at different times, chefs who couldn't hold their own on the line. They could, they were great at administration. They were great at ordering and making sure that we always had shit and that, you know, their costs were right, but they were not very creative and they couldn't work a station better than myself or other kids on the line. And I find that to be like almost a work ethic thing. And like when there's that disconnect, it's really hard to have any respect for the person you're working for. So like, coming into an environment like the Cypress Room where you and Roel are outworking everyone around you times 100, it's like, well, that's the standard. So now everyone is expected to work, to try to work at least as hard as you guys. You know? And well, so, like, I, I mean, people who really want it. That's it. Well, I just mean that, like, there's, there's a difference between that and the guy who, who like, kind of threatens your job or, like, holds things over your head because they can and then sits in the office at a computer and barks orders versus the guy who's like, you know, who's, who's actually doing the work and, uh, and can, and can tell you like fucking hit it, dude, you're done. And then work your station and do yep. a better job than you. Yep. If that's not the case, it's really hard. And I, and I, you know, I mean, everyone finds themselves in those positions and, and I'm sure at various jobs, but like, it's, it's also, it also, it also created the environment in that kitchen. You guys created the environment through like who you hired and just how you treated things where, I mean, dude, I've never worked in a place where, and I've never even heard of other people working in a place. You remember when Roel, when the summer came around, it got slow and he was like, everybody gets a project, like pick something to do and learn about it and do it. Like, well, the restaurant's willing to spend a little bit of money on that. Like you're going to like, <laughs> I decided to make bread. So you order me heirloom flour from Anson Mills over the summer. Yeah. I remember that. Like that's <laughs> rowdy and maybe not the best business decision, but you want to talk about fostering like a uh, like a drive to better yourself and to be a better cook and then to be more of an asset to the kitchen because ultimately you could say like you know like oh like he you, someone could say that that's altruistic but really like that's he's a, it's a smart move on his part because his cooks are now like you know I don't know they're just better cooks. So Well yeah, I mean it also shows that uh shows faith in someone's talent and someone someone's drive to like want to learn yeah and it'd be easy to say like summer's slow so just cut hours or whatever like i mean and and obviously you have to do that because right. it's a business but like it was just that was like it was kind of like dumbfounding to me and it was it was i don't know kind of indicative of what of the culture that you guys were trying to create and i mean it wasn't always a success like either you know but but the idea that, that you guys gave enough of a shit about that part of it 
I think, and I think that you, you know, like, uh, I think that you guys, I mean, I don't know as much about what we're all doing nowadays because I'm not in touch with them as much, but it seems like you're definitely, like, you do that here, you know? Like, you do a really good job of sort of cultivating that, like, hard work, you know, gets you somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we, so it's funny, you mentioned the, someone that just barks orders and doesn't want to work a line. So I'm, to a fault, I really like working the line, like much more than I like all the other shit. Shocking. You know, <laughs> it's just like not as fun, you know, right? sitting in meetings and shit. So this past Saturday, um, I scheduled my day to just work service at all three of the locations. No shit. So I started my morning on the beach. And of course, you know, cooks walk in and is like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? <laughs> and, and, you know, changed, you know, like three items on the menu and ran three specials. And I'm like, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. But it it shows them something. For sure. It shows them, like, you know, this isn't just, like, a regular kitchen job. Um, you know, this guy's going to push us. Right. Uh, he wants us to be better. And that's like, you know, even at timeout, which we only have eight menu items, and it's a very different dynamic than a full-fledged restaurant. It'd be really easy for you not to have that approach there. To yeah. Be like, let me just get, let me yeah. just tread water. But selfishly, there's a Jasper and a wood grill there. So I like that one, too. <laughs> so, you know, we went over there, and we, we ran a couple specials. We sold out of the specials in a couple hours. Fuck yeah. So, I mean, they just, you know, I came over here to Chugs and just kind of, like, perused the line for a couple hours. Went home, took an hour break, and then at 5.45, showed up in the line at Ariette, and everyone was like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm going to be here for the next five hours. I hope you guys are ready. Poppy's working. And I, I, you know, I proceeded to just kind of like push them around. Yeah. But it's only because I want them to be better. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't ever want you to feel like this guy, you know, he wants us to do food that he's not doing. Like, No, no, no. That's not how this works. Right. You know, to an extent, it's not... Um, is that achievable always? No. Right. You know, we've got to run a business, too. Of course. Got to make sure and maintain business. All that is good. But I never want to, like, lose touch with the food part. And really, so, a timeout, too. Uh, a friend of mine was in a couple stalls away from us. And uh, he had a couple people call out. He was, like, going down hard. Oof. I went over there. I was like, you need help? And he's like, I need help. Jumped on the line. Tell me what you need. I don't know your food, but I'll put all the food up and you can plate it. Yeah. And for, yeah. for an hour and a half, banged out service with him. He put it up and it was fun. That's awesome. That's fun, though. Yeah, for sure. That's like, you know, and and I go back to that podcast talking about, um, like, how we are mentally chefs. Yeah. You know, and they're like, we always have this dream of, like, opening up a 20-seat restaurant. Mm-hmm. And when we open up the 20-seat restaurant, we're like, what if we had 10 more seats? <laughs> and then when we, when we have 30 seats, you're like, what if we had another 15? So it's just like, we're like masochists, you know, like we, yeah. we want to like put more, we want to put ourselves in a more difficult situation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for me, like, I love that shit. It, it, it goes back to like the Cypress Room days. Yeah. I mean, that food was tough. Yeah. And we were doing it in a kitchen that was the size of a box. Right. You know, and yeah, we only did our biggest night there was 99 covers. That was our biggest night ever. You sure? No, 100%. 100%. Cuz I'll never forget it. 99 covers and we crushed it, but that was our biggest night ever. And yeah. that's the most that we could do there because of the style of food, style of service. Right. But I mean, we were you remember a consummate order? <laughs> yes. You know, you remember like 
poaching those eggs and just all those pickups, everything, yeah. 100%. We didn't sandbag a fucking thing in there. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, the risotto, come on. A la onda? Yeah, dude. It just, we and our fearless leader at the time, thing about Roel is that he could do it too. Yeah. And he wouldn't be scared to tell you to get the fuck off the line and do it himself. He wouldn't be scared to do that through, like, whatever kind of physical ailments might be, like, occurring at the time where, like, dude can barely stand up, but it's cool he's going to, like, bang out dinner service on whatever station. Right. <laughs> like, well, I think, I, think a lot of that, I think a lot of that it just it trickled down to us and the way that we thought and the way that we handled a lot of that stuff. You know, and, and it was sad that that restaurant didn't last. Yeah. That, to me, still is one of the best restaurants Miami has ever had. Yeah, um, I agree. So, anyways. Um, one thing I do remember about uh, about being there, and, and one of the, the first times I've, I heard the name Joe Beef was you, I can't remember if it was an article or an interview or something where it was about cleaning toilets. It was about willing to, t- it was about being, if, if it's your restaurant, if you're the chef, like you're the guy who's shoulder deep in the gre- grease trap. You're the guy who's, fixing the clogged toilet and you're the guy who's smiling through that because this is your spot and this is your like vision and all that other stuff like it's just like hearing that was immediately was immediately uh reminiscent of like watching my parents like start a business and just like just through sheer will and like willingness to to i mean eventually become financially pretty successful and and pretty well established but like over the course of like 40 years taking out multiple mortgages and like never wearing clothes or shoes that didn't come from the running shoe store which meant that like as a kid I wore women's shoes until I was like 13 so that was really cool in middle school (laughs) um but uh but yeah and like and watching them watching my mom wait tables after the the shoe store closed at a diner down the street and my dad resold shoes in the back of the store because that's that, like they had to make ends meet, and uh, that kind of like willingness to do whatever it takes because it's like I, I got and it was never like said, but it, it just was evident to me that that's better than working for someone else. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it's worth putting in all that time, even if in the long run it ends up not working out the way you thought it did, or even at all. Like it's worth trying that stuff, and and and. Like the only way of actually doing it is is to work like like what we're talking about to really be fully committed and not just in like that that like uh, that grit kind of yourself way, but knowing when to ask for help and 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 then cultivating that environment around you, you know, like which you seem to have done really well with this. Uh, I mean, like I knew right when Ariette when 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 that was happening, like it was a weird transition because I thought I was going to be a part of it, and then to not be. It's just like just one of those things in life that like takes different directions and but knowing that you know uh, that you basically had the your two right hand guys like set up like just like in the wings waiting essentially like that was that infrastructure is so crucial well you know like I'm I'm very I openly say it all the time that if you think you could start a business or a restaurant or whatever it is. And you want it to be big. Like a restaurant is a big undertaking. I don't care if it's 15 seats or 150 seats. If 
you are under this assumption that you're going to do that shit alone, you are sorely mistaken. Yeah. You know, and Gio and Matt, I mean, we've worked together on and off for 10 years. They're like family to me. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I remember early on when you were going to come on board, that was, like, super exciting time. Yeah. You know, we were going to have, like, a whole fermentation lab. <laughs> we had this all this whole fucking thing specked out, vinegars and whatever. And really, that program, even now, never really took off because you didn't come on board. Yeah. Because to really curate that kind of stuff, you need to pay attention to it. Right. You know? So that's why um, people think, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll open up a, a restaurant and, you know, I, I'm a really good cook at home. No. Stay cooking <laughs> at home. Like, that. this is not how this shit works. You know, it's different when you're cooking for... 150 people every day you know and they expect their food now and they expect to you know and then you got to run a business on the back it's just so much and it's like any business and it, it goes to a test like watching your parents open the store work the store yeah all throughout your life understanding that small business mentality that's why through the years that whenever we talk on the phone it's usually for more than an hour <laughs> because we just talk about stuff and i like, apart from being friends, you can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because you saw your parents go through it. I saw my grandparents go through it. Yeah. I saw my, my dad go through it. And it's like, this small business thing, I remember the early days of Ariette, there was like plumbing issues. I had my hands in places I didn't like it to be. <laughs> you know? And those people, that, that's why everyone's like, well, the restaurant business is so risky. Yeah. It's risky, but, you know, you need to be willing to make the sacrifice to make it work, just like any business. Yeah. You know, you need to be willing to sacrifice a whole fuck ton. It's also, I feel like it's the willingness to sacrifice and then also what, so I, I'm really fortunate to have uh, just a fucking amazing family. And my, like, uh, my niece, who's uh, 19, I learn from her all the time. It's like, it's astounding. She's like, uh, she's just, she's smarter than I am. And it's, it's scary. <laughs> it's, it's awesome though. But, uh, she, she went on this, uh, this camping trip, this canoe trip. And long story short, we were having a conversation coming back from it after picking her up from this like camping trip that she went on. And she was talking about how one of the things she learned was having a conversation amongst the kids in her group and, and, and with her counselor about setting expectations for the day, like openly discussing with each other what we like. This is how far we're going to travel today. This is what that traveling looks like. This is how many times we're going to have to get out of the canoe and carry everything. And, the, you know, like what like I guess at that point, setting expectations of what we think our day is going to look like, et cetera. And I feel like that was such a huge let. Like when she told me that, I was like, holy shit. I can't believe I've never thought about that because so many things like we like I like you have expectations especially like like for example go like starting a business whatever that business is you have expectations about how how it might be or how it will be or or what even what success is going to look like and defining those things clearly and having a good idea of, of like how you define success because it doesn't necessarily mean like financially successful like the fact that your restaurant is still open the area is still open and you're opening and you're doing all the things that you're doing now like you're not a rich man because of this yet and you might not ever be like extremely wealthy but you're incredibly successful at this as far as i'm concerned because like there's not like 
the whole surviving a year thing and all that shit, whatever. But more than that, it's like you're you survive you survive a year, but you're also you have an identity and you've you've have like a a vision and there's like a clear thing of like what your cuisine and like what your food is. You know what I mean? Like but a pretty there's like an identity there. You know, so it's like you're not just surviving. You're not just like you know staying alive. You're you're you've created like a I don't know a little a little world into yourself. You know, and that's that's. That's impressive. I, I think what you said is like super important is like building your own identity. Mm-hmm. I think with food, and you would probably agree with this too, is that's very difficult to build your own identity. Some people think that they know. Right. And then you go and then you don't know. Right. So like, for example, when Ariette opened, I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. And I did not know. Right. I, I had no like idea because um, I was so insecure and so, like, scared of those things. And that always goes back to that same topic that you and I have discussed before, which is, you know, the mental aspect of um, the mental aspect of food, you know, like, and the whole kitchen atmosphere. Like, you are buried behind someone's food for years. Right. And then you are asked to then, what is your own expression? Right. And the thing is, if you are a soldier, right, like, for example, you and I were soldiers in Roel's army. Right. And Michael Schwartz, technically. Mm-hmm. Right? So we were cooking their food. Yeah. And 100% their expression. Even when you would, even when it would be a situation where it was like, you give me the third course for the tasting menu tonight, right. it would still be filtered through Roel. Even if you, if you brought a composed dish that, you, that was entirely yours, you still had to, like, in thinking of that and composing that dish... You were running that through the filter of you have to give that to Roel before it can go to the right the menu. So it's still not entirely yours, even if it's like your idea. It's still so kinda, in, yeah, anyway, a hundred percent. And then you you lead up to like the year of opening up a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna do whatever. And then you sit in front of you sit on your desk or table, whatever, blank sheet of paper, and write a menu. What do you write? You know, sometimes right. you don't know. Then it's like, well, what would Roel do? Or what would Michael do? Or right. what would Norman do? Or what would any of these people do? Right. And it's like, no, what would you do? And then it's like a small sample size of panic. Of course. Because then it's like, well, what would I do? And like, people are coming. They want to eat my food. They want to eat our food. What is our food? Yeah. So it's a good amount of soul searching too and it's like there's a large portion of that that you need to be okay with like the insecurity aspect of it like you need to feel secure enough to be like all right i'm gonna put myself out there yeah and not hide behind anything else because before we could be like well no i mean that's Royal's food yeah <laughs> for sure you know like no, no, that's, that's him i don't i don't know uh, do i don't know i was just following orders yeah boss. i don't know i don't know yeah but now it's like no no it's me yeah it's you homie so there's like a lot of sleepless nights and then what about when they don't come people stop coming yeah and then it's a whole other fucking ball did they stop coming because i suck is my so this just like further goes into that whole like the mentality of the cook and the chef and the small business owner like all jammed into one small box yeah and there was a time when Ariette was days away from closing. I mean, literally days. You know, we would talk 
on and off. I, I never told you that much, but yeah, days away from closing, and I sat down with Gio and Matt, and you know they didn't know either. And it was just like, like, well, what are we gonna do for the menu? And I was like, fuck it, let's do whatever the fuck we want. Let's just really like, <laughs> let's just fucking do whatever the fuck we want. Legit, like Momofuku. Yeah, I mean, you know, his was a little more extensive because we were still kind of on the track. I just mean in that, like, ultimately, you, like, the chips are down or whatever the whatever like the the difficult situation is. Your response to that then is, let's, like, uh, well, for lack of a better term, and to be totally cheesy about it, like, follow your heart kind of thing, right? Like, I mean, no, that's that's not. I mean, it's cheesy, but it's true. But but I mean, and and for to tell that. To, to have that approach, I feel like, is really liberating. It's And I'm sure it's terrifying, but, like, that it, it it gives you the sort of freedom to not give a shit, to, like, to really, to be passionate about it and pursue it for that reason instead of, like, you're, you're operating out of passion instead of fear. Right. Instead of fear of closing or fear of, like, oh, no, are we going to stay open? Are they going to like it? It's like, no, I'm going to do this because I'm really good at it and I love this shit. Well, and also, I've always had the mantra, like, ah, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the first 14 months of Ariad, I gave a fuck. Yeah. And I gave a fuck too much. I gave a fuck, like, what are these people going to say? What, are they, what? And that's why I always go back to that influencer talk. Like, I don't give a fuck what those people think. Yeah. Fuck them. Yo, by the way, I'm glad that you, you're so vocal about that shit. Well, like, and it's becoming more and more of a common thing. And I feel like it's, uh, it's necessary. It's necessary to, to call that kind of shit out and to be, to be honest. To be, yeah. like, intellectually honest about a lot of that stuff. Because... When you talk about like a review of something that you were given for free, it's just disingenuous. Yeah. Like there's just no way for you not to be biased. Furthermore, when they when like influencers directly contact business owners looking Let's for collaborate. Let's like we're not collaborating. We're not collaborating. It's not a collaboration. This is not a collaboration. That's, that's a conspiracy <laughs> to be disingenuous to the public. Right. You know what I mean? To present something other than what it is, and that's that's a bummer. Like that's yeah. a huge bummer. And usually that's indicative of, of either a lack of confidence in the product or the service or a lack of quality in the product of the ser- or the service. You know, like when you need and it's it's one of the things that like in I don't know, in different industries, um I feel like it's, and it's really common here in Miami where like, you know, you'll use like, like, you know, sex is often used or or anything like something other than just like the integrity of something being really well made or really good. Sex sex and sexiness is a good, it's a really good one. And or wealth. Like those two things are used like interchangeably. Yeah. yeah, Like the idea of of like renting a hundred thousand dollar car for the weekend so that you can go back to your shitty apartment in Kendall. Like, I just don't understand, you well, know, but, it, but like, but using that to sell something me, like to me means that like, like if you're using that kind of flashy, sexy thing to sell something, it, it's almost like, like I, I have doubts about the quality of that thing because like, you know, like, like, <laughs> like Benton's bacon doesn't need to do anything. It just no. is. It's just it, like, here's the fucking bacon. Right. And it's that good. Yes. Anson Mills isn't like, Ants and Mills. What about Lake Crusade? Fl- huh? Lake Crusade. Well, yeah, well, that, I mean, you might want to sex that up a little bit. No, I mean, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's great because um, I remember this year I, I went on a small tangent, which wasn't even that. I thought I was being super, like, nice about it, but apparently I wasn't. <laughs> and it was like um, this, this influencer, right, 
ate like her top 10 desserts <coughs> and they were her top 10 desserts of the year. So I reposted it. I was like, this person's top 10 desserts that she ate for free. <laughs> and I'm not fucking wrong though, right? No. And it's like when you, when you talk about like sex selling something, mm-hmm. okay? It's, you look at a lot of the uh, influencers' posts mm-hmm. and a lot of them are with like a large ice cream cone with tons of fucking sprinkles and they're wearing a bikini, Right. Or they're like on on the hood of some kind of Ferrari, mm-hmm. and they're eating a cheeseburger. Yeah, like I know the for fuck a fact have to do with you, you barely took a bite out of that cheeseburger. If you took a bite at all, right. So how about this? How about what I find sexy is the baker that wakes up at two in the morning, goes to work, mills their own flour, makes their own bread, then on that bread, then cuts said bread toast that bread and makes me a fucking sandwich (laughs) that i find sexy and that i want to sing to the high heavens about and i don't care if you get a hundred thousand dollar like a hundred you know what's crazy dude this is what's crazy to me what's crazy to me is that some of these fucking pansies get paid five grand to post five posts about someone that they should go to and say thank you for your work instead they're going and direct messaging them, hey, let's collaborate. Fuck you, man. It's not a collaboration. Yeah. This isn't a collaboration. Wild. You know? This is you trying to extort me for your following, right? And you know what? I, like, I don't know. Shit, I'm terrible at technology. We've all openly talked about this. <laughs> I'm horrible with it. I know how to check my emails, and that's about it. Right. And even then, it gets tough. But what <laughs> I'm trying to say is, like, how many of those followers are actually, like, real? Right. You know, like... If you got 100,000 followers and you're only getting like 500 likes, there's something wrong there. Yeah. You know, there's something like incredibly wrong. So, I don't know. I, and, and I went a little bit on a tangent there. But um, I think uh, we can cut to our first sponsorship Uh-oh. break. We got a sponsorship Go for it. This is going to be our first one ever. Holly, Bobby. This is it's, exciting. This is I'm excited. Major development. Tell me if I, uh, if I mess this up. I will. Okay. This episode of Pancom Podcast is brought to you by Croqueta Doorstops, the doorstop that is also a croqueta. For a limited time, get two for the price of one. Croqueta Doorstops, the Meriendida, has an open door policy. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. I think that now everyone's going to jump on ship here and want to sponsor this podcast. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? I think you'd be foolish not to. <laughs> My phone's blowing up already. We haven't even put this thing out. The way that you read copy, Mike, is pretty impressive. We got to work on media and detail. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, we got there and I just full stop and look at Nick, and Nick was like, I got you, Thor. Hey, but that was perfect, though. Yeah, I think it was good. Nailed it. I think it was good. That was um, like, uh, it was like the, uh, the hype man. Yeah. You're like, you're like the flavor flav do with Chuck D. So um, we went a little off track talking about influencers real quick. Yeah, I just think that that whole that whole social media culture, though, I think that you like like out like you you do a pretty good job of pointing out the kind of gnarly things that that inevitably come along with it, you know. Um, yeah. And I I didn't have social media for a long time, and I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a useful tool. It's just it's it's a uh, it's really gnarly because I I like the things that we outright know about it that Facebook has outright said as far as, you know, like getting likes on things that you post hits the same, you know, sort of like pleasure centers in your brain as other things like sugar or drugs, right? Where like you post this picture, your phone vibrates, you see that so-and-so liked that picture 
and you literally have a dopamine hit from that. You literally have a physical reaction that causes good feelings, that causes like a positive, a physically, you know, like, like positive reaction. And the inverse is also, is also true. And so it's like, it's, it's, it has this amazing potential, but it's also like, if that potential is being used in a manipulative way, it becomes extra disgusting. You know, it becomes extra, like just super disingenuous where like, we're like this whole thing of, uh, of, you know, these, these like perfectly posed pictures where someone's just, just so happens to be at the beach right. and that, you know, like that, that, uh, that product that they're an influencer for just so happens to be on their beach, beach blanket and everything's pretty, you know, and like they live this perfect life and there's all this and none of that shit is real and none of that shit has anything to do with that product and it's sneaky and it's shitty. And I feel like if I, I, I just, when you then tie that into like, that's how you make your living by by extorting businesses out of money so that they, they can give you not real feedback about your business. Like, it's just... Can I tell you a little um, fun prank I'm playing on the world? So, Thanks, I, um, I just bought this hat. I don't know if you've seen this hat, but it's pretty glorious. It's I'm a Stetson sure. hat. Oh, yeah. It's quite, it's quite the statement. Mm-hmm. And I like it. <laughs> I also am a big fan of the uh, $16 Casio watch, as you're well aware of. I saw right? that. So in all my pictures Bit of a flex. that I'm wearing both of them, I tag them as my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun, right? Because, like, could you imagine if Cassio's like, man, this guy's pretty cool. Let me send him a bunch of free $15 watches. Ah, that would be gangster. It would just be great, and I think it would be funny. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I, I see it as so comical, you know, because I'd much rather just build my business on, like, good moral foundation. Yeah. Uh, and good food and good experience and good service and all that stuff. Yeah. Then worry about, you know, Instagram likes or whatever the fuck it may be. And fucking sparklers. Yeah, and sparklers and shit like that. So, I don't know. It, it's, um, I think that that conversation always has a lot to do with the mental aspect of our job because it, for some reason, people want it so bad. You know, people want to be accepted so bad. Yeah. When on the other side, I'm just like, why? I'd much rather be the guy that's on the outside because that's me. That's like, I'm not in this big circle of just like a bunch of people patting each other on the back. I want to be on the outside being like, well, he's doing something different. Jeremy Fox is a great example of that. You know, um, his change, which we'll talk about in our next episode of like wellness and change and all that stuff. Um, how he went from just working 20 hours a day and, uh, you know, being the chef at Manresa and Ubuntu and all that stuff and just, like, really, you know, like, driving himself into a grave is basically mm-hmm. the way that he put it to now being like, well, I need to take care of myself and I need to stop caring about, like, you know, being Bon Appetit's best new chef. That's cool, yeah, right, or Food and Wine's best new chef or being mentioned by this publication or winning a beard award or whatever he was like i just want to put out great food and still be okay you know and that's why i find his journey and his food so i guess inspirational yeah um and i find it pretty incredible so i think that's a good place to like leave this episode and, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap this one up what do you think yeah yeah i agree nick so, what do you got so i'm gonna say i mean people might you know, be coming to the end of this and want to learn more about you and oh. shit you do. 
So let's let's take a, a plug minute here. Oh, I want to. Here's here's the thing. Plug things. Yeah. The things you want to plug. Right. Things I want to plug. Doesn't even have to be your stuff, I guess. Yeah. You could plug Happy Hour at Chuck's. I don't know. Yeah, I think Happy Hour at Chuck's. Happy Hour at Chuck's is definitely something I want to plug. Uh, <laughs> if you need uh, if you need running shoes in the Miami area. I'm going to thoroughly recommend Footworks in South Miami. It's across the street from Barnes & Noble. They've been there 45 years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they'll put you on a treadmill. They'll videotape your gait, analyze your they, gait. They put me on there. Yeah. Look at Mike now. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to claim all the responsibility for it, but that's pretty much all us. Like 95% at least. Yeah, like if he wouldn't have come in and got on that treadmill, he'd, I mean, who knows? Still be a little heavy. I mean. I think so. You know. But, uh, yeah, that, that I would definitely plug that. Uh I uh, I would like to plug in general the 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 cannabis community in Florida, and uh, I think there's a lot of really amazing things happening with uh, medical cannabis, and uh, <laughs> and I thoroughly recommend that everybody look into it. Is That's that something? It. Is that something we're going to get into in this next one? Yeah, possibly. Cool. Yep. So yeah, just to tease that, like. Yeah. Come back for the next episode. On yeah. the next episode of Pancom Podcast, Chris Hughesby gets into cannabis. Oh, you did that really and well. Wellness. <laughs> and wellness. And wellness? <laughs> Health, wellness, and cannabis. <laughs> I like that. That's a good name. That's of good. It. That's Health, Wellness, and Cannabis. I think we just wrote the title for the next episode. I like it. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right. All right. So I'm going to end by saying that you can find episodes of this podcast, including the previous ones, the next ones. Uh, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast things, and datemag.com slash podcast. I'd, I'd also like to add that uh, Croquette Doorstop's already dropped us, so we're going to need a new sponsor. <laughs> all right. I'll work on it. Damn it. I like ending on damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.